Let's start with prayer. God, we are so thankful that you are sovereign and in control of all things. And our hearts are just ingratiated to you that we can even be here right now together to look at your word. And we're together not just with fellow saints, but with your spirit to help us understand your word and to apply it to our lives. So may you just be glorified um, in this time that we have together. Amen. If any of you have built anything um, structurally or even hung wallpaper, the first plumb line, the first cornerstone, the first rafter is crucial to getting it lined up. We're adding a wraparound deck around my house, um, and my husband is doing it because he's, he's done other things, but he's really showing his age with it this time, because he stood there yesterday, <laughs> and it probably took him 20 minutes staring at how to lay this first rafter just to get it started, because that was the starting point of everything else. And once he got that up, it kind of kind of moved along. So I told him, I said, I'm going to use that as an example to start my lecture tomorrow, because this first five verses of John lays the foundation. This is crucial. This is cement. This is something that we don't even question. This is a fundamental truth of our faith. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life of the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a central point to all of Scripture right here. And Paul takes great strides through the Spirit to make his words accurate and concise in how he's saying it. The first two verses is, I mean, it's just a work of art. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, before time began, when the beginning began, the Word was already there. The Word, Jesus, always existed. There was never a point when he came into existence. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, that word was describes a continuing action in past, continuously in existence before the beginning. It's like infinity back. I mean, we look at infinity, eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. We, we can somehow grasp that, you know, because we, we have the hope of learning, living forever with Christ and that. But going this way, it gets a little foggy. What do you mean he wasn't, there wasn't a point when he began? When time began, he was even before that. It continuously goes that way also. In the beginning was the Word going out there. There was never a, never a moment in time, never a point of 
when he did not exist. And John uses the word, word. In the beginning was the word. Word or logos was a common word that they used at the time of this writing. And it meant, um, it was divine power and wisdom. Throughout the Old Testament, the word of the Lord was significant. I mean, you open up the Old Testament, the word of the Lord came to Moses, the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord. God spoke often in the Old Testament. In Genesis 15, we have, by his word, God introduced the Abrahamic covenant. And in Exodus 2, by his word, God gave Israel, you know, the Ten Commandments through his word. First Kings, um, by his word, he attended the building of Solomon's temple. Through Psalms, the word of God is the agent of creation. So the word, God speaking, the word, that expression of divine power and wisdom, that's attributed to the word, the word of God, the word. And so when John uses the word to describe Jesus, he comes into history with a common knowledge that this is divine power and wisdom. So when John presents Jesus as in human form, as the incarnation of divine power and wisdom, he's starting off the very beginning of his gospel with Jesus is divine wisdom and power that always existed. He goes on to describe how Jesus throughout, well, in the New Testament writings of divine power and wisdom that is attributed to Jesus. And I'm just going to read you a couple of those. If you want to know where they're found, you can come up and attack me later. But I'm just going to go through this because Scripture talks about divinely um, Jesus being the divine power and wisdom. In Luke, and likewise, in Luke it talks about him being, um, he initiated the new covenant. Jesus said, this cup that is poured out for me, out for, for you, is the new covenant of my blood. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? more divine power and wisdom in this covenant. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In the New Testament, Jesus is also an example of divine power and wisdom as he instructs believers. He says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is also the incarnation of divine power and wisdom as he unites believers into a spiritual temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. For you are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And in Ephesians, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. 
In the New Testament, Jesus is the incarnation of divine power and wisdom as the judge who, who judges those who reject him. He's also the one who has revealed God to man, what we just found out. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In John 14, if you had known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is, it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Also in scripture, Jesus is, is the incarnation of divine power and wisdom um, as he's the agent in creation, not just in our verse here today, John 1.1, 1, 1, but also in Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And Hebrews 1.12, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Scripture, repeatedly throughout Scripture, identifies Jesus as the word, the divine expression of power and wisdom. Hebrews 1, 1-2 says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, today, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through, him, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power so John begins his gospel by saying that Jesus was in the beginning was the word this incarnation this human form of divine power and wisdom he always existed always there and then John takes it from being way out there, way out there, past the beginning, and he pulls it in closer And when he says, and the word was with God in his eternal preexistence. He now identifies Jesus with God. And it's not just a hanging out together, like, you know, just being coexisting or roommates. It's the word with God has the connotation of two personal beings face to face with one another, acknowledging each other, engaging with each other intellectually. The word was with God in intimate fellowship. It's not just, hey, we're in the same yard together. It's face to face, interaction, intimately having fellowship with each other. And yet when you stop to think about how this Word, this divine Jesus that was with God forever and ever, willingly stepped down from that position. 
to empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when the word became incarnate, that was what the plan was, a willingness for him to step down and be a servant and to be made known to us. So the word was before time, the word was with God, and then John pulls it even closer together with the divine God as saying the word was God. The word was God. Simple, concise statements, so unlike Paul. Could you imagine what Paul would have done with this sentence? (laughs) Would have been pages and pages. But his words are perfectly picked accurately describe who Jesus is. Clear, concise declaration of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, accurately depicting who the true nature of Jesus is. These are, these first two verses so far, are non-negotiable elements of the Christian faith. You don't... These are truths. Um, They're not open to be argued. The Bible is clearly defining and upholding these truths. Nothing in Scripture contradicts these verses in John. Jesus Christ is the eternal, pre-existent Word Jesus Christ is the one who enjoys full face-to-face communion with the divine life with the Father. Jesus Christ himself is God. Now, Scripture also goes on to warn people about not believing this verse. They are without excuse. Any confusion about the deity of Christ is inexcusable. Second John 10 says this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching that Jesus is God, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. That's pretty cold, isn't it? John is saying that if someone's coming to you and saying, Jesus isn't divine, Jesus isn't the Son of God, Jesus was a prophet, he was a good man, he, you know, yeah, there's books written about him, but he didn't really rise from the dead or whatever. Scripture tells us to not even have fellowship with them. Not invite them into your own. You do not have felt, you, you're nice to them, but you don't have felt, you don't join yourself with that people that have that belief. And it seems really cutthroat, it seems uncharitable, but is perfectly justified toward false teachers who deny that the deity of the Lord um, from the gospel. Galatians 1, 7-9 says this, There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, this verse in Scripture is solid. 
And if anyone denies it, comes to you, you just graciously, okay, but you do not waver from this truth and do not uh, partner up with them because you're partnering up with someone who is, who is accursed. Pray for those people. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of belief systems out there that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. But we're here today to study the Gospel of John this year to really find out who he is, and this is something we do not flex on. John goes on to say in verse 3, all things were, create, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He is the creator. And John, again, is emphasizing this truth. He says it in clear language, and then he says it in the negative, right? He repeats it a second time. All things were made through him. And then he goes on to say the negative. Without him was nothing anything that was made. Okay, again, he is creator. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought, oh, what if someone comes up to me and says, well, did he create the COVID-19? No, he didn't create the COVID-19. Did he create sin? Did he create, you know, diseases and stuff? No, he did not create that. But he created all the elements that come into play for it, he created all the energy of it. He created all the germ, the, whatever, the micromolecules or whatever like that. It was the fall of man, okay? The destruction of, of nature because of sin that has resulted in some of these things. But nothing out there has come into existence without Christ making it. I was looking at that verse have him being the creator, and I, and I was just kind of goofing around, like I have extra time on my hand, you know, but I was kind of just goofing around, I thought, let me just get a couple different versions of this, because it was so precise. How can we say it any differently? King James' version is always a beautiful version. It says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The New American Standard says, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Passion Translation. Ever hear of the Passion Translation? All, and through his creative inspiration, this living expression, which is Jesus, made all things, for nothing has existed apart from him. Here's a translation for you. The voice. The voice. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in him. Now, I had to stop and ponder that when the voice, and I was reminded of the power of sound. Because in Genesis it said God spoke, and this was created, he spoke again, and this happened, and again, this happened. He just spoke the word. You can go on the Internet, and you can check this out. The power of the spoken word, sound waves made visible, vibrations and frequencies create patterns. If you have a level uh, pan of sand, and you put sound waves through it, it creates beautiful patterns. 
It's an amazing thing how just the, the, the vibrations, the frequency level, whatever is the, the noise that is happening, is creating a pattern in that sand. The power of the spoken word. So yeah, he can speak and things can happen. Two more translations that kind of bring us down to simplicity. The New Century Version. All things were made by him and nothing was made without him. And my final translation, International Children's Version, if you want to get really simple. Two sentences, two statements. All things were made through him, period. Nothing was made without him, period. These are more truths about Jesus that are undeniable. John, through these verses, is establishing the proof of Jesus' deity. He had to be God. If he's creator, if, there, if he created all things, he himself cannot be created. Let's just look at that for a minute. If God, if Christ created all things, and he created time and space, if he created time, he had to be outside time, wouldn't he? He'd have to be outside time. He'd have to be outside our idea of space and three-dimensional. We've talked about different dimensions and stuff before. So in order for it to create that 24-hour time frame and put the sun in the sky and the moon and all those things that happen, he had to be outside of that. And only God is outside of that. If God is portrayed throughout all of Scripture as creator, and we know that he is, there's many, many verses in Scripture that talk about God being the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalms, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. In Isaiah, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. And again in Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no one. Throughout the Old Testament, it talks about God being the creator. Here in, in the Gospel, our Apostle John says that Jesus, the Word, created Draw the link. If God created, therefore Jesus must be God because he created. New Testament talks about God creating. In Mark, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Ephesians, unsearchable riches of Christ to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages, who created all things. And then finally in Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, 
to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God created in the Old and New Testament. John is saying here the word Christ, Jesus Christ created. There's a deity there. Jesus is God. So we've got him with God, cohabitating with God, always being with God. We have Jesus as the creator, and now John presents... Um, well, before we get into the John presents, because I want to say this. If you look at the world today and you think, you know, it's a pretty lousy world, it's fallen apart, it's really not the creation that was there in Genesis when God created this and he said, hey, it's good. And then he created this and it was good. Remember all those days of good creation and everything? We look out there today and think, hmm, it's not so good. We've got a lot of diseases, we've got a lot of decay, we've got a lot of bad weather patterns. And again, it's because it's not because of the creation or the creator that did that. What we are witnessing today in the world is due to sin. And I just want to pull out a verse from there, and that's in Romans 8, 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of, of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So nature fell. When man sinned, it, it had far-reaching consequences. Um, and it's waiting and groaning and moaning, waiting eagerly for the redemption of mankind, for God to come and make all things right. And he will. He will. In Isaiah 11, 6 to 9, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fat, fattened calf together, and the little child will lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall play by its hand in the adder's den. I thought, no, no, no snakes are going to bite our dogs anymore, right? There's going to be peace and harmony. There's not going to be meat-eating happening. And there's going to be restored nature. He will make all things new. Jesus is God, is the life-giving God. Finally, John wraps it up by bringing in two, two ideas of who Jesus is. He is God, the deity of God, but he also is life and light. Jesus is life means he is self-existent. 
The word life here is used as a spiritual life, zoe, Z-O-E, as opposed to bios, which describes a physical life. The physical life we found in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That life there is bios. This life here in this passage is zoe. And we find it again in John 5.26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So in him was life means Christ having life in himself. He is self-existent. Self-existence. And again, this is foundational to our faith. And this is the thing, the biggest thing, that distinguishes us from God. We are not little gods. We are not God. We are not gods. You know why? Because we aren't self-existence. God himself is self-existent. We are not. We are going to be extinguished one day. You feel it every day, don't you? (laughs) Um, But he, he is life himself. Another word that describes him um, when we're talking about created things are becoming or changing when we talk and when scripture talks about Christ and his being, being is eternal, being is permanent. In the beginning was God. He is being, it is there, he's the source of life. He's the source of life for that which is becoming or changing, because God is never changing. He is, he always will be, he always was, he's not going to change. Genesis 1.1 establishes this fundamental reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A great truth. Um, And this truth, that God is the creator of everything, is another attack that Satan, that people use, unbelievers use, to, to get rid of who Jesus is. Because if we can get rid of a creator... If there is no creator, if things just blew up and they just happened to be there, it takes more faith to believe in that theory than it does to believe in God, really, doesn't it? Um, This truth here that God created is the biggest assault on, on the word of God because if man can, if unbelievers can get rid of a creator, then they get rid of judgment. Because a creator is going to come with, this is what you need to do, and this is how I made you, and this is how you're going to live life abundantly, and this is how you stay in fellowship with me, and this is how, how we have harmony together. And if we can get rid of God, the creator, he doesn't exist, then it opens up the door to say, I can do anything I want to be. There's no judgment. And we're seeing that with transgenderism today, all the different forms of gender that they want to be. Because God, I can decide who I am whether I'm a boy or a girl. I can change it. I can do whatever I want to do. That is completely in eliminating a God and the truth. And it's really foolishness if you really take it down to the bottom line. But that's their attempt to get rid of a creator so that they can be whatever they want to be and live however they want to be with no judgment. With no judgment. 
And it's a scary thing that these people are so lost in this. And all the more time now that the gospel of the truth needs to be out there. Because there is going to be a judgment. That's the truth. The whole universe, everything is becoming. Because there was a point when it did not exist. And only self-existent eternal God who is the source of life. Um, and he gives it to those who believe in who he is. All creation receives its life from outside of ourselves, from God. God is the only one who derives life from inside of himself. He depends on nothing. Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being, our becoming. This spiritual eternal life is imparted to, to us in God's sovereign grace for those who believe in Jesus. He passes on that life when we believe and takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And that's the whole reason Jesus came. The whole reason he left heaven and came down here in human form so he could impart spiritual life to sinners who were dead in their trespasses and sin. So he's the life. He brings the true life, this, the eternal life. He gives physical life, but he also offers up the spiritual life. And with that, he is also light. Life and light cannot be separated. They're together. They're essentially the same, um, like the Word was God, Jesus and God. They're, they're the same, but they're different also. Light emphasizes the manifestation of the divine life. So we have the life, and light is like the manifestation of Christ's life. It shines light. It emulates it. Um, Light is God's life manifested in Christ is another way to look at it. Light is God's life manifested in Christ. Am I losing a lot of you? Are you hanging in there with me? Okay. I'm almost done. Light is the truth, holiness that is manifested against darkness. Because we have the contrast of darkness there, okay? And darkness is the lies and the sins that are out there. So the light that is truth, that is coming, is holiness and purity against the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's Paul's <laughs> very wordy thing to say the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6. But it's a beautiful, another way just to kind of, just really make it firm in our minds that what that light is. Now this part of the verse that says, this last verse here, 5, I just want to make sure something is clear here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Some translations say the light has not comprehended it. That's not as accurate a translation as overcome is more accurate. And the reason is this. Even in a very dark room, a candle can shine a lot of light. Jesus is the victor here. He will not be extinguished. And throughout history, Satan has tried to overcome it. Satan has tried to snuff it out. From the very beginning of time, he has. Okay? First um, John says, The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So it's not that darkness failed to understand the truth about Jesus. They didn't comprehend it. They didn't fail to understand the truth about him. On the contrary, Satan and the demons understand very well who he is. In the New Testament, it was always the demons were saying stuff like, you know, um, the demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. And in James 2.19, he says, even the demons believe and they shudder. So it's, it's not that they didn't understand who he was. They did understand who he was. It's the fact that they could not get rid of him is, the, is what this verse is saying. And Satan has tried, 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 and today he's still trying to, to kill the life and to extinguish the light. Tried to snuff out the nation of Israel. He tried to corrupt the line of the Messiah. He tried to kill Jesus as an infant. He tried to get him to, tempt him, to fall into temptation in the desert. And he tried, he thought he had him at the cross, didn't he? Thought he had him, but Colossians 2.15 says this. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. Yeah! So, unbelievers are eternally lost not because they do not know the truth, but because they reject it. Romans 1.18 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness. It's revealed. And unrighteousness of men, and by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Could that be Jesus? Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, this is clearly perceived. So they are without excuse. Without excuse. So John opens his beautiful gospel, emphasizing the deity of Christ. So take this away today. Jesus is the life-giving God. This is a powerful affirmation of an essential truth. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is the truth that needs to get out there. Own it. Believe it. Own it so much that when you run into somebody that doesn't believe it, you can explain it. And don't worry about the outcome because God's Spirit will do the work with that. But this is a truth that can't be left within the church walls. It's got to be spoken. 
God, help us. Help us to be your disciples and speak your truth and live your truth. Believe your truth and live it to a dying world, to your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.